All right, let's open with a word of prayer. And uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to, to spend time um, not only for myself in preparation, but might, uh, might we benefit from uh, some of the things that uh, we've all gone through, that me, my, my experiences in particular that I can share, and uh, some of the books and, and uh, uh, men who have written them, who've influenced my thinking and approach to the future. In Jesus' name, amen. So you have to have that outline in front of you, which I see you do, and you're going to have to grab one of those. And there's an article there, too, that we'll, we'll play off of a little bit. But uh, to start with, I have the note, uh, succession uh, is, is the, the topic of this, and succession basically is uh, who's going to come after you, and how have you prepared them, or what are you leaving them um, in order to prepare them, and, uh, and that has to do with wealth, but, but more than just um, uh, money and, and, and properties, but also how are you preparing them as replacements to, to what your heart has been about in service to Christ and uh, what they'll do with it. So um, the first uh, letter A I have, who gets my accumulated wealth when I'm gone? Because they will focus you know, on, on properties and, 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 and monies and so on. And, and it, that question, uh, I'll just kind of leave it out there a little bit. Who gets my accumulated wealth when I'm gone? Uh, do you have an idea about that already? Well, I have an idea, but you're not going to put it on record. <laughs> well, no, I haven't. I haven't pursued it as much as I should, and I was hoping that after this, I could maybe do a different way of doing it. Right now, if Sue and I died, mm-hmm. Marty and Lynn would get our kids. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah so that's how long ago you created the will. Yeah, <laughs> we were in that same boat until about I don't know five, six years ago, maybe. I don't remember when we established something. Yeah, I mean, even even grave spots and stuff like that. You know, we keep talking about it, but it's, oh, it's yeah. not one of those things that you have to do tomorrow. It's not, it's not the greatest fire. Yes, in, in, right. In, that you got to put out, right? Right. <laughs> so it always becomes back burner, back burner, back burner. Yeah, even on the grave site, we uh, we thought about it in terms of okay, well, this is the bill that someone won't have to pay with my funds if we buy it now. Right. The, the plot and the and the headstone. Or deal with. Or deal with. Which right. is the biggest part, you know? I mean. You're, you're mourning already, and now all of a sudden you have to pick out a casket or you have to uh, make the arrangements. I mean, that was kind of really hard on my mom and dad because that's not something you typically do for your kids. And mm-hmm. when my brother Stuart died, that was something they had oh, to yeah. go through that whole process. Yeah, yeah, that's And a... I don't want my kids or my wife to have to go through that, you know. Yeah, no, I understand that. Um so the question, who gets my accumulated wealth when I'm gone, it's typically you think in terms of who are my heirs? Is it going to be my children? Will it be my children and grandchildren? Will my children be set? So I'm going to think more about my grandchildren. I know some people do that. Um, will it be uh, uh, church? The church is going to be, you know, given all my money or some kind of ministry or person that meant a lot to me, will I give things to different people? But this all, uh, this question assumes that you've built something up and, uh, and have it to give, that you haven't lived a life um, that has basically spent your wealth along the way, and that you, you know, your last breath, 
I mean, you spent your last dime before you had your last breath, and you've got nothing to pass on financially. doesn't mean you haven't passed on a lot along the way, and some people are just poor. Although and, I've, seen, I've seen family uh, fights begin over a dresser. Yeah. Oh, right, right. You know, which, right. which is probably the only thing they probably had on, on some of the cases I'm thinking about. And the whole family's in a tiff over this one item, which in most eyes are probably worthless. Yes. But in their eyes, it was... Memories. I want, I want yeah. to get... I don't know if it's so much memory or I want to get the most of the oh. kids. Oh. Of what is left, you mean? Of what is left. Oh, or, yeah. 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 I think for... You know, you had that whole issue with your, your dad passing away. You remembered his dresser, right? I mean, it wasn't the dresser just because of your memories with what he kept there, how he... Went. No one else wanted it, though. Yeah. So that wasn't a big wrestling match or anything. Um, Abraham, who was given all these promises, right, and uh, uh, God was on his side, and uh, he had no children of his own yet, and so the question became, um, who's, who's going to get my stuff, you know, and uh, I just have Genesis 5 there, uh, 15, I should say, verses 1 through 6, I want to read that, I mean, the first session, I think we I discussed how everything, I mean, we're children of Abraham. Everything really goes back and is rooted in his, the promises God made to him. And, and so he is, in one sense, heir of all things, except for Christ is the ultimate heir uh, of all things. But in Genesis 15, 1 through 6, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir, which is Eliezer. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So, um, Abraham did not have many, many children, not like the stars of the sky. His descendants kind of became many, many, but I, I think that uh, this, along with other promises made to Abram, meant his descendants even uh, went beyond the borders of his own ethnic origin to um, other ethnicities, uh, including us, who are heirs of Abram. So Abram's stuff belongs to Christ, and so does ours. I think if we can get that into our heads, we start to direct our future accordingly. I could easily, I put this down, go to be with the Lord at 74 years old. If that's the case, that was my actuarial table thing I looked up a couple years back. They gave me 74 where, where my health was. That's in 15 years from now, right? Yeah. Tarot cards? Yeah. No, you don't know. It could be tomorrow, but I'm certain it's not going to be at 125. You know, so 74, is that a, uh, a reasonable uh, thing to say it might only be then? Maybe. Okay? Certainly whole insurance companies are based upon actuarial tables and they figure these things and that's, that's 
yeah. you know, why you got this. Um, but there's so much to do to prepare if, if that is the case. 15 years is, it's nothing at all that's nothing when you get to this point, right? I mean, we've been here 22 years or whatever, so I don't, don't remember exactly, but 15 years, I mean, that's not nothing. Uh, so be sober as a giver. What are you, what are you gonna do? The benefactor and the beneficiaries, um, who, who's this, whose is it really, first of all, Christ's, right? But we still have this relationship. A benefactor is the one who's giving. It's in the back as a definition. He's the one who's leaving or giving or passing on, kind of like the funder of, of whatever it is that is considered the financials. And the, and the beneficiaries are those who are receiving uh, the gifts, in, in a sense. Um, but it, it all belongs to Christ, and we need to keep that in mind. Um, it's not ultimately all about the money. I just want to take a look real quick at Luke uh, as a sober reminder, Luke chapter 12. Lest we think uh, this is what life is supposed to be. Said someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's a temptation to make it about money. I, uh, I found a book I've been looking for. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the one that kind of changed my money thinking life. And uh, I found it when I was getting paid uh, survival income by a school, country Christian school I worked for in Oconomowoc. And I, we, we had Zachary as our only child at that point. And it was like beggar's wages. But I wasn't going to go teach in a public school in my mind because I was going to make sure that Christ was part of the education process or I would feel like I wasn't doing all that was supposed to be done. So we were living on, on, uh, on little to nothing, but I'm thinking, I've got to be responsible, and I got this book out of the church library where, where the school rented. Eh, I'll read that one. And I, I, I started reading it, and it started making me think about tithing seriously and about um, savings and how, how to manage all this. Here's one little story I want to share. Just so you know, it's not all about money, right? Um, Hetty Green lived in a shack. She ate cold oatmeal because heating it up would increase the electric bill. She's, she's a Dutch woman, I think. Got it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> when her son injured his leg, she searched so long for a clinic offering free medical treatment that gangrene set in, and his leg had to be amputated. But when Henrietta Howland Green died in 1916, she was not poor, she had an estate worth more than $95 million. 
One bank account alone had more than $31 million in it. Is it possible to be too frugal? You bet. Is it possible to save too much money? Absolutely. And uh, he goes back and starts to quote from the parable that Jesus just, just told about the rich man and so on. But it's not about the money, money, money. <laughs> that's, that's not, uh, but that's, that's putting money first over her kid's injury. Yes, yeah, it's put it's her prior, priorities are all uh, out of whack at that point. But it is an important part of serving the Lord in Matthew um, 25, 14 through 30 uh, deals with that, but I just have verse 14 there. I got a few verses. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. And then he goes on and tells the parable about the talents. The one he gives five, the one he gives two, the one he gives one, and he's going to come back, and they better be fruitful with it. I don't think that's talking only about money, but it certainly is talking about us being responsible for all that God has given us. And he will expect um, a return on his investment and that's something we should be concerned about. So it's not all about money, but money is important. Uh, and, and as we're dealing with where we're leaving it, Proverbs 13:22 up there says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Proverbs 19:14, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. That's uh, a nice quote that that is good to remember house and wealth are inherited from fathers but a prudent wife is from the lord and then numbers 14 11 and 12 these things all have bearing right and the lord said to moses how long will this people despise me and how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that i have done among them i will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Well, it didn't play out that way because Moses pleaded the cause of the Israelite people, but God was certainly willing to disinherit them based upon their behavior and their being hostile to him. This is all preparatory or prefatory for what we're going to get into here, but I think we need to just uh, work through it. So it's proper to think my descendants, I think, are to be heirs, to be my heirs. It's said there in, in uh, Proverbs 13, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Well, that's at least reaching down to my grandchildren, but I think it's not meant to li- be limited to that. But my heirs uh, or beneficiaries should be, I believe, considering Christ's things. And if they're not considering Christ's things, I am apt to refrain from being as benevolent as, as they might wish me to be, okay? So leaving an inheritance is a good thing. Should you leave more to the firstborn? These are little questions you've got to wrestle with, I think, okay? Why did they leave a double portion? Well, let me just ask it. Should you leave more to the firstborn? Should you leave more to the, the child that is not... Practicing Christ's ways. Good question. And that firstborn might be a pagan or might be hostile right. to Christ. I mean, do you do you divide your inheritance according to what is going to benefit Christ's kingdom in the end as well? 
Yes, I, that's a good question, and I would definitely lean in that direction. Or figure out a, a way to keep non-believers from uh, decimating what was built up. Well, and you could feed the fire on the, child, on, on the pagan child yep. if you give them more money to, to expand on their, what, their, what their, their problem is. Yeah, what they're running after. What they're running after. They can what run further now. Yeah. That movie, uh, a TV show, Succession, are you familiar with that one? No. Andy, are you familiar with that? Okay. It's very interesting. It's a, a pretty nasty family, but it's very patriarchal, and, and Dad's like, multi-billion dollar empire and his kids are are kind of all swines and so is he somewhat you know but there is still a, a, a familial a familial um, relationship thing going on there and you get to see the interplay and it's very interesting for that uh, some uh, I think there was one season that was like nastier than others that we just fast forward a lot during those times <laughs> but um, is this but, the one with the, the country singer the big uh, tall country singer no, 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 no. Yes, no, that's not that. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, link, link it to you or something if you've got an interest. Um, it's, it's well worth watching if you can not be contaminated by some of the filth. Um, but but the, uh, the idea of what about the firstborn, because you had uh, Genesis, you had Abraham, you had Isaac, you had Jacob, and uh, not one of them, I believe, left the double portion to their firstborn son, okay? Because uh, Abraham's firstborn son would have been Ishmael, not Isaac, right? And, uh, and then Jacob had, I mean, uh, Isaac had Jacob and Esau, and Esau was the older one. Jacob wasn't. And yet Esau, Jacob got the, the double blessing. He got the, uh, the greater of the inheritance. Esau was torn, but Esau brought it on himself, right? You've got uh, uh, Jacob having 12 sons, and I think it's argued that the double portion might have gone to Joseph, who, uh, um, who Jacob gave each of his sons a portion. Uh, so Ephraim and Manasseh were, were Joseph's sons, and they each got a portion. Uh, so that, that is, uh, that's all interesting, but whereas that, Reuben, I think, was his firstborn, maybe, or whatever. But, but he got... He got the double blessing, but he also saved his family from starvation. So he also helped his family financially. And, and he was, uh, yes, he did. Because he was Egyptian, right? And, yeah, and helped he was, his family out. So he actually actually probably survived the, the money right. situation for the family. So, I mean... And I don't know. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he should probably get a quadruple portion at that point. I, I think the, the the greater testament, maybe to Joseph, was just his godliness, how he responded in all those negative situations, the things his brothers did to him, the things that Potiphar's wife did, and he was thrown in prison, and he just remained godly. And um, and so, I mean, I'm not. Saying, Did God work, work the heart of the Father then at that point? Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. And there's a whole section where, where uh, Jacob is giving the blessings to his children at the end of Genesis, and he's saying different things about them based upon their history, you know, and what they did, some of the things that, that he, they quoted that, he, that they did, and that was kind of part of his um, testament on them as, as sons. But 
So I think those are important questions to ask. Um, I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers on that here right now. Uh, I don't pretend to have all the answers anyway, but there are more verses to look at when you're considering that. What do I do with my things if my children don't care? What, if I do, what do I do with my things if my children don't care so much about Jesus Christ is kind of the question uh, that was being raised there by you, Paul. And um, the, num- the disinheritance, uh, at least God was willing to there. I think there's other passages that might support the idea as well. Um, my hope is that they found, find good sp- spouses. Because um, if you find an ungodly spouse, um, that's... That's hurtful, too, for the future. Of, I think that goes back to your Proverbs 19.14. Right, right, which is, uh, which is uh, the one about finding a prudent wife. Um, and and I, th- I think that's hugely important. Also, you think about multiple man- marriages and how that just really, you want to talk about wiping you out financially, well, you got... One wife with children, perhaps, then you get another wife with children, then there's alimony and all this stuff going on. Stepchildren. And, yeah, and now you want, you want your end-of-life fighting going on. There's a real good potential when you've got divided families like that. So, Is it safe to say that the Bible set up that our children as being in our inheritance with uh, Abraham? Uh, I, I think to, to the degree that they remain in the covenant, is that what I'm getting I'm at? I'm saying is that is that's kind of an outline that the, the Bible makes that that I should give. I mean, it made Genesis, so it must be important enough that God says, okay, your children should be your first look at. Oh, yes, I think so. Yeah, I think absolutely is is what the goal is, to, is to continue caring for and, and up building your own family, your own family physical heirs, um, but if they're not going to be spiritual heirs as well, then maybe you need to make some wise decisions or build in, which we'll get into a little bit, safeties that, hey, if they're going to go off and become a, 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 a drugged up, even if they're Christian, when you set things up, if they're going to run off and become a drugged up person, they're not going to get far with, with the, the, the family capital. Things change beyond your control. Yes. After your control. Right. And how can you <clears throat> attempt to set up controls is part of, the, part of the question at that point. Does it matter if your heirs are foolish about wealth? That's a different question. Uh, here, you know, have fun, kids. I worked all my life. I, I live for God, and I tried to teach you guys to do the same. Um, here, here you go. The prodigal son. Yeah, here, here, here's your money. Spend it wisely, I hope. But you never taught them anything about money. You never taught them anything about work and, and, uh, and some of those things. And so Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, I hated my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Uh, It would be, um, it's quite disheartening to think 
And, and that's why I think the human side of capital is much more important than the financial side of capital. Um, to think that your children would go and, and waste it all on foolishness. That they wouldn't take an attempt to invest and make things better for the kingdom of Christ and for their own children's view of the kingdom of Christ and their children's view. Um, it would be real disheartening. Um, I had a comment made to me once because we had set up a trust. And it wasn't because we set up a trust. We had set up a trust, and, and I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit, but the comment was made by someone near and dear to me, younger person. He said, uh, he kind of snidely remarked about trust fund kids, you know, kind of like they're spoiled or whatever, silver spoon in their mouth. And, um, and, and there was a, a hint in, in the comment that he felt it was almost an unfair advantage. And, and I, I asked him, I said, well, why do you consider that an unfair advantage? What do you think? You got an answer for that? How, how do you suppose? Do you think it's an unfair advantage? Why not? Why is it not an unfair advantage for someone to grow up and have trust money and properties waiting for them? People want, they want what they don't have. Their fathers didn't provide for them in a way that set potentially their own households up in the future. Then they get jealous over jealousy. it. And, and be jealous. It's, I mean, you're blessed if you have a family that provided for you in that way. It does give you certain maybe advantages, but they're from God, not from necessarily the parent. So it's a jealousy thing that makes someone think that. I, I agree. Envy is, is, a, is a big word, too. Sometimes envy is a little different from jealousy because envy is saying, well, I don't have to have your money, but I don't want you to have it either. You know, that's, that's the root of, of envy. Um, I was going to say, I think there's another angle that, uh, to it as well is because you'll see the one that built the empire probably being so busy building the empire that he did not pass on the instruction to the child just the money and and probably um, solidifies himself by doing so you know I can't be there so I'll buy my kid this and I'll oh you mean you that. mean makes so justifies himself justifies okay, himself gotcha, that he's, gotcha. he's so busy trying to make his empire and make his money and, and spends all his time doing so that he's not passing on the knowledge to the child just the money right. and then that child without the knowledge and just the money Comes a spoiled brat, and that is also perceived by others as going right. Oh, you know, right. He's useless. You know. Yeah, and, and, and he's and, rich, and I'm working my butt off, and yeah. I don't have nothing. Yeah, and they mock the the whole scenario. So but back to jealousy. Of is it right for them to do that? To be jealous? Yeah, or 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 to think that this shouldn't be? No, it's still no. envy. It's still envy. I think it's perfectly fine to say, well. Passed on his wealth, but that's all he passed on. Be able to call, you know, a spade a spade in that way, yeah, but having yeah. some malice in your heart is not going to be beneficial for anyone. Right. Yeah, I agree, and and that's good that that full, filled out more. Um, 
This is why E, this is why human capital is paramount for advancing Christ's kingdom. Because I, I think it is more beneficial to leave, you know, say, seven children behind that you've invested your time and effort in with the shirts on their back, but they're godly, than to leave uh, multi-millions of dollars to seven children who you didn't invest your time and attention, and they have no uh, desire or hardly any desire for the things of God. Give me the seven kids who are bare bones with me, and I, I think we're in a better way, in a better way for the future of the kingdom of Christ. I think you're doing more by, by setting those children up as to procreate proper, to, to do it on their own as well. I mean, right. my mom and dad had nothing. I mean, I remember uh, looking through some old files, and when I was born in 1967, my dad made $3,000 that year. Yes. Now, granted, different inflation, time. Yeah, everything right. was different. But if you still divide that, we were still, I mean, steak night was, you know, my sister, the three youngest ones sharing one. Oh. And this happened like once a year or yeah. whatever. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of frugal things there that they were teaching me, whether I knew it or not. But I didn't get anything from my parents. Of course, you know, my mom's In wife. big finances. Finance-wise, right, right. I bought my own car. I bought this. But they were teaching me things that were far beyond them giving me something. Yeah. And is making you even financially rich today because right. they did that. Right. Yeah, I so can picture. So if you don't have nothing, it doesn't mean you can't pass on succession or pass on financial succession yeah. without, without just teaching. Yes, it. yeah, amen. Uh, I, I can picture your, your mom and sisters, you know, with uh, like cookie cutters in the form of steaks and then mushing up hot dogs into it. So yeah. you. <laughs> and a gallon of milk. And she would have um, two quart pitchers. And then she would take dried milk and pour that with the milk and then add water yeah, okay. just to make the milk last. So you had five gallons when you we were... five gallons uh, out of yeah. one. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, she did that from... She spent $60, it's interesting, she spent $60 a week, I think, later on when we moved here, not, not back in the 67 when I was talking, but I know when us kids, when the five of us were still at home, she spent 60 bucks a week on groceries. And when I was there by myself, she was sp still spending $60 a week in groceries. Yeah, yeah. But that's just how the inflation caught up with us. You yes, know what I mean? yeah, but yeah. yeah. So I get this, you know, uh, the dude, I got a picture of... Uh, John Goodman? Uh, John Goodman and what's, what was his name again? Christian Bell? No, no, no. This goes back further. I, I can't think of it uh, at the moment, but it's... Um, he's... Uh, He's just a schlep. Does, does nothing. He kind of goes with whatever happens. You don't want your children to be this. And, and, and really, there is a, a certain point to where uh, we live in a let's play society. And so playing is like what we do in our free time instead of building and thinking and, 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 and producing. There's a lot of play, whether it's watching too much TV. And I say too much. I'm not condemning TV playing too much video games, playing sports too much, at some point you've got to go, okay, what's reasonable? And what's reasonable for leisure? And what is uh, indulgence? And the dude on the left, that's just indulgence. I mean, there's, there's no motivation in that, in that person. And I agree with you, Paul. Uh, 
my dad and me, right? My dad, it was not about, he didn't have a lot of money sense. I mean, he worked hard. He worked double jobs. He had to provide for us. He worked hard, and uh, that's absolutely the case. But he didn't put away. He didn't buy a house and pay it off. I mean, until after he retired, he finally bought his first house. He was a teacher. Uh, he, he also uh, sh- sold shoes. He bartended. And he had five kids and, and a wife. But um, uh, I have learned more about money than he's even, he didn't even think about it. And, and so, uh, and I'm not saying I know a lot about money. I'm, I'm really dependent even now on, on the kids um, continuing to, uh, to learn and, and, and grow. But um, I have learned some things, and I've got more things in my arsenal for them than my dad had for us growing up. And so... Um, that's a, that's a good thing. So focus on your children, grandchildren, etc., and God will give them time to build, as you were saying before, on some of your financial or business knowledge. Uh, that knowledge, though, is secondary to them being lovers of God. It just plays a part in them being lovers of God. So I started thinking, after I read the book, Tracy and I did a lot of, you know, like, watching our spending, we... We did a lot of um, cheap meals, you know, not as cheap as your mom and dad had to do back then, but we, uh, we still, I mean, if we ate out, it was, how often, Tracy? I don't know. Once a, every two weeks or once a month, maybe? Yeah. And that was a, that, that was, was a big deal then. Yeah. That became no, a big not. deal. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. And then we, you know, macaroni and cheese in, in the beginning of our marriage was, was a staple. And, um, but this idea uh, I have read about as I've been started thinking more about money and actually started, I went from school teaching to an actual job <laughs> where you could make some money in sales and then uh, kind of like did a little sh- gear shift down with, with just doing um, the pastoral work for a, uh, three years, I think it was, which wasn't a big deal to me. Um, but then the, the shift gears up again when we tried to in, incorporate the plurality of elders and always praying that God would take care of us and bless our efforts and make us what he wanted us to be. And this, this concept to me is one of the most interesting um, and yet seems kind of ungraspable concepts um, that I can share. Uh, it's the I- idea that you're not just living to get by but you're living to try to plan way out. And there's so many factors that you don't know that planning that far out is uh, somewhat, it is impossible to be very accurate. But I got this, uh, I think it was an audio series from Vision Forum back when they existed before their founder made some not-so-good decisions about the future. Um, and there was one uh, CD in there by a guy named Jeff Botkin that was actually really geared toward this 200-year plan. How do you think out 200 years where you're thinking now about like great-great-grandchildren? Can you? What can you do to start to think about, um, about your own kids and then your grandkids come along? Because we've got two grandkids, and we can see some of their strengths or weaknesses or challenges. Um, 
we can actually right now with our grandchildren plan a little bit, thinking about, well, he's really good at this. You know, this might be his, his cup of tea. How can we maybe set aside or do something to help produce more of, of that in him or, or use that skill or gift God has given him in a way that is, is good for the family as well as the kingdom of God? Uh, how, how do we even think in those terms? This Family Fortunes book, which is probably the book that most uh, gave me direction to want to establish what, what we'll call here in a second a perpetual trust, um, has got in its subtitle, How to Build Family Wealth and Hold On to It for 100 Years, which is a challenge in itself. But uh, the Family Fortunes book talks a lot about how old money, and that's historically old money, European-type family money, how old money was um, not only created but built over time and how it was protected so that it did not get chiseled away Um, or disappear uh, through bad generations or by the state taking it and so on and so forth. That that is a very uh, helpful book if you're starting to think, Paul, especially about this kind of an idea. You got to get family fortunes. They get into stuff, though, in family fortunes that's um, to where they go to a degree of having dual citizenship, like a citizenship in some foreign country for financial reasons because of how our state uh, in in the United States has become very confiscatory at times, uh, taking taking things through estate taxes, um, death tax or whatever. Uh, So it involves thinking about your children's giftedness. I think Thinking about geography, there's no way in the world we would have considered Waupon, this flattest land in, in our existence in Wisconsin, as being a place we would have settled for the rest of our lives. Um, but then, uh, I mean, we lived in some beautiful areas up north, you know, and we like the communities and so on, but God has a way of, like, moving the chess pieces, and we're here, and the way things have played out, I, I know I will die here, you know, unless I'm in Madison Hospital. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, your so address, we your address will still be here. Yeah, our address, and and our and, and we already bought plots and so on. And this is this is home, and I don't dislike the community at all. I, it's just that, as far as uh, you really, you're going to move to Wapan, that flattest land with with prisons. That's why it's you know prisons are here. It's because I think there's no. The limestone. Yeah, there's nothing, you know, can't, but can't dig through it's like we're all, <laughs> we're all living on pavement, basically, right, or something. But uh, so geography, think about property. What properties do you own? What properties might you own that uh, would benefit them? Your children, you know, are they going to occupy the house that you bought? You know, are they going to rent from you? We've done that in two different situations. And it's worked out wonderfully because um, we like our tenants. And uh, sometimes it's a little rough, but we like our tenants. We don't got to worry about them trashing the house or, you know, skipping on us or whatever. But uh, think about leaving them with more that was, than was left for you. That's, that's a given, right? Think about the role that they might play in the future of the family. So... This whole thing, and as you meant, asked before, Paul, this whole thing is really thinking about your family first. 
you know, uh, Christ is ultimately first, but you're thinking about how they might benefit from everything you've built as your family in Christ. And um, it's where they deviate from that that you've you got to definitely show some concern. But um, it is also important, and this is something I, I wanted to really make a point of, it's also important that your heirs can work together. And why do you suppose that would be? Do you think it's important that you feel like you can work with your siblings when it comes to the trust? Yeah, there's wisdom of elders. I mean, there's more than just yourself to <laughs> yeah, yeah. work through it with something. So. And, and so is there any way that we have actually are, are able to, um, to do that, to bring that about, where you know that they're developing those skills? How do you, what are some ways, I guess, would be a question. We have a family business. They're all involved in it. They work together, uh, um, high water, low water, wherever the tide goes, we kind of like adjust and they don't always, you know, treat each other as perfectly as they could in that business, but, you know, we get along in the end. But you don't have a family there's business. A, there's, a, there's a head to it, too. Right now, you're, you're the head of it. Somewhat, you have yeah. to establish. You have to establish that with among the siblings as as far as them getting along as well. Correct. Now, I I did have a business. I just got out of it. Right. But I had nobody that was interested in going into it. Right. So. Right. It didn't pay for me to put anything more into that business that I wasn't going to get out of it. You know what I mean. So how do you establish that your children can work together on things? If you were to say leave a, a trust that you would ex, you were trying to get, like a perpetual trust, which again we'll get to in a bit, that you would like them to continue to manage and grow. And maybe that's not what you'll do, but... My initial thought when you say that, just off my cuff, would be that I would probably have a democracy of the children putting some money in the spot of leadership there mm -hmm. as far as I mean it could be it'd have to be a family decision but somebody's got to be there to to orchestrate you can't have everybody orchestrating unless everybody's got a talent in a certain spot but you're going to have to have somebody that's going to raise the questions okay we have to do something about this and so you're thinking initially, before you even get to that, that this is going to be a family endeavor that I'm trying to establish, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Andy, what, do you, what about you? How, how do you, um, I mean, you don't have a, a business, so to speak, yet. You, I know you're dabbling in your own things. Um, how do you get to the point where if you were to leave and try to establish the ongoing Nigrin clan, or whatever. Maybe you don't want that, okay. But how do you get to make sure that this is the this is the program we're all working on and this I'm gonna be dead at some point, you're saying. Where does it go from there? Have you thought much on that? No, not really. I mean we just have a basic will at this point where things are split or, or whatever. So. Split up e equally kind of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Their and, family's young, they don't have any favorites yet. Yeah, they don't have favorites. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The, uh, 
the book here called Family Wealth by Hughes. Uh, I think he's done a lot of uh, perpetual trust type things or family trust type things. And he, uh, he talks about, you know, one of the, well, I'll get to it, to it in a little bit again, but he does, he does say it's a challenge. And, and a lot of his clients start out because they are a family business. And, and so they are all, like, invested in it. They get paid from it, but they are also invested <clears throat> in, in hopes that it increases and improves. And so he gets set up and, and starts working on trusts and things with people who are family businesses. Uh, when we started thinking this way, this planning for the future and, um, and uh, trying to set up a system of some sort that uh, made sense. I think I go to the next one. It, it came to uh, this kind of a question where, where Bonner says, all wealth either is consumed or must be owned and managed by someone. He says, serious old money accepts the responsibility of taking care of its own money and preparing the next generation to do likewise. Um, I think this is, seems like one of the more brilliant things he said. If you don't think about this stuff and plan on it, you're just, you're, it's just going to be consumed. And maybe that's okay. Your money just be consumed. My life is spent. It's over. I invested in their character and their love for God. I'm satisfied with that. God is satisfied with me. But if you feel like God has give, given you certain abilities to build wealth, then you've got to be responsible in the same way with that and how you leave it as, as before. When we started talking about this, I, I created some sheets. And I don't know, it was kind of early. And probably for Calvin and Abby, it's like, what do you want me to answer, you know? But I, I wanted them to start thinking. So I gave them a sheet that was uh, a, uh, two questions. And I said, imagine you're 105 years old. Okay, I still can't imagine. You're standing before your immediate family, children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Why do you suppose, what, what do you suppose you will tell them was the most important things to you in your life? One or two paragraphs. So you're trying to like get them to think a little bit more like when I'm gone or when I'm leaving, what do I feel like I've left, I've done on earth? The other one was, using your imagination once again, write a description of the family 20 years from now, having become successful in our own ventures. So what would success look like 20 years from now in our own ventures? It might be different. You go different paths. Um, again, one or two paragraphs. Then I gave them a, a thing about their listing of values. Okay, what do they think is crucial as their values in life? Um, in order for long-term success of the family, of our family, I said. And then I said, this is the paragraph. God has taught you many lessons so far in life. He has inserted them into your mind. You may not have learned them from church or the Bible or even mom and dad. Maybe some author passed on an important truth. Maybe some character in a movie made a comment that has stuck in your head. Examples like loose lips sink ships or... It teaches you the value of discretion or 
Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, teaches the value of discernment. Whatever the case, the lesson or value has become a sort of guide to live by. So then I asked them to list ten things that they consider like principles or values uh, of life. And then finally, I gave them a personal resume thing to fill out. I said, God has made you special. You don't remember any of this? No. Yeah. How old was I? When you I, I don't you know. Six Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here again, I'm trying to think in terms of this 100-year plan, right? God has made you special. He has made you to benefit mankind. He has made you especially to benefit the family he's placed you with. You're part of our history, and you will be part of their, our future. God wants you to be an asset. You are a human resource. With this resume, you are provided an opportunity to share with the family the things that make you tick. You can tell us the things you feel are, you're good at doing, any training or education that has helped you to acquire skills and your greatest passions, the things you want to pursue the most, okay? And so then I gave them a few things. I feel I'm pretty good at or, and or improving at blah, blah, blah. I've received some training and have acquired these skills, la, la, la. If I could do three things in my life, I believe I would most want to, and I think that's an important one. According to Hughes, uh, you can't make your children fit into your mold. You know, they're all built a little different. They've got, God's got them gifted and made a little special. <clears throat> so we've got to be real open to saying, I believe I would, be, I would most want to do such and such. And uh, it may change, but those are things that you've got to consider as you're laying, laying out this idea. Age of maturity. So let's just take a quick look at, uh, at um, the, the will, the trust. I've got definitions in the back. I just want to read them, okay? Most people think about wills, right? And we've all got a will written out. Will is a legal declaration of a person's wishes, regarding the disposal of his or her property or estate after death, especially a written instrument legally executed by which a person makes disposition of his or her estate to take effect after death. When I read that definition, a word jumps out at me, and I'm probably reading into the word a little bit. Maybe there's more broader meaning, but I, I, I see the word disposal, and I think, I don't want that. I'm not expecting to keep it myself. I'll be dead. But the idea of a person's wishes regarding the disposal of his or her, her property, I almost feel like if you don't have something different set up, it will be your, your, your wealth, what you've, what you've built up, will be disposed into you know, these different heirs, and that's it. And, and that's okay. For many people, that's as much as they're going to want to do, and I'm not saying God expects more from them. But I think there are other ways to, to deal with it. And I think the other definition we should look at real quick is the one in the back called trust fund. Trust fund is an estate planning tool that is legal, is a legal entity that holds property or assets for a person or organization. Okay? It holds it. Thus, trust funds can hold a variety of assets such as money, real property, stocks, bonds, a business, or a combination of many different types of properties or assets. Three parties are required in order to establish a trust fund, the grantor, 
the beneficiary and the trustee. Okay? That's a, it's a standard trust fund. You've got the person who's the grantor or whatever, the benefactor, the one who's giving the stuff. You've got the, the, um, the beneficiary, those who are going to be benefiting from the gift or the giving or the investment, if you want to say. And then the trustee, who is kind of the one who makes decisions regarding the trust. And it could be beneficiaries. It could be still uh, even the, the uh, from what I understand, the benefactor or the, uh, the grantor. But they're, they are a legal um, rule enforcers of, of the trust fund. Could be an outside party as a lawyer or something? I think it could be. In, in one of these books, uh, he gets into also uh, the administrator of a trust, which I think is what I consider our lawyer, more the administrator of the trust. Um, but So then do you have to set up another lawyer in case that lawyer yeah, passes? Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, hopefully he's a part of a firm or something. So the, the third one I have on here, I don't have a definition for it. It's called a perpetual trust, and the Bonner book gets into this a lot. And that was their goal, to set up this perpetual trust, which is a trust that, let's say, after death, the beneficiaries don't just get the money because this trust can still kind of operate as if um, it is a vehicle, but then there's still beneficiaries that might get this money meted out to them in time. Uh, whereas a perpetual trust is more of a vehicle that always keeps on rolling through all the generations to come. And, and that's what Bonner says is what makes for real wealth, uh, old wealth, and long-term stuff. And when I read his book twice, I did not think, oh, of course, we'll be old money. We'll be billion, multi-billionaires. No, what I figured, this makes a lot of sense to me, even if we become maybe uh, multi-millionaires, uh, with the, or the trust does then that would be being responsible. We need to be responsible if we're just multi-thousandaires. <laughs> but at that point, it's not worth setting up this perpetual trust because it costs about ten grand to set it up to begin with, I think. so. Um, a challenge. How will property pass from the dead to the living? That's the question. See below. Can you keep... Can you keep those with power from taking it? Can they take it if you don't own it? The idea of a trust is, I no longer own this. It's not mine anymore. The trust owns it. And um, that sounds like a, a real hard pill to swallow, but it's more of a definitional, you're willing to put yourself into d definitional handcuffs. I think that's usually the part that keeps people from doing a trust is that I'm no longer in control. Right. Especially when you're talking about parents that have lived through the depression and that type of thing. And they think, okay, my kids are going to control my money now. I've never had that in my mm -hmm. life. That I, Or have I controlled my parents' money? Right. So right. I, don't, I don't get this at all. I mean, right. It's a very hard pill for them to swallow. And it, But it is mo mo probably more of a, a, a an intellectual or educational pill because mm -hmm. um, right now the way we set up this perpetual trust is 
Tracy and I are trustees just as the kids are. And we have votes enough to beat them or even them out in the decision making. Okay, is it so? It's a five to four if we vote, and if we really want something to, to take place or not take place, we we win five four, no matter what. And we we're pretty sure we can always still talk Calvin into it. So, what? <laughs> no. No, I mean, but you want to borrow my opinion? Yeah. <laughs> Make a few notes. So, in that sense, I mean, uh, you don't own the money. I mean, you don't own it anymore if the trust owns it. But um, it's safe from some certain taxes, estate, um, death tax type stuff. This is what you're guarding against. Um, this uh, creature, can you see it? He says, you know, you're even starting to scare me. The it's the tax ban, and it's a you grim, know, reaper. grim reaper. You're even starting to scare me. Uh, because that is really, and, and according to the Bonner book, that's historically been the issue, is the state taking just a big old chunk of your money when you die as the inheritance tax that's or crazy. death tax. And I think that's just sinful. You already paid for it. You already paid uh, for it. It's just sinful. It's, yeah. it's absolutely a, a crime. But um, it's there. that's what they do. You have to deal with it. So the, the way, how do you get around it? I think that's the main thing. And even with the perpetual trust that we set up, I mean, um, well, so in our perpetual trust, we, the trust owns the business, Gappa Security Solutions. The trust owns Gappa Properties, okay, which I think we talked about last time, buying properties. We set up a little LLC for that. And it, I don't know what else, if anything, of substance it owns. But um, so at owning Gappa Properties means it owns all the properties, you know, as well. And and um, yeah, I don't know what the, right now because we set it up, and I'm still wrestling with this. Uh, but we do pay taxes, you know, end of year federal and state and all that stuff, as if it's were ours. Because Tracy and I, you know, were the, I guess, the benefactors of it. But when we die, and the trust still exists perpetually, the idea is, how, how do these things pay taxes at that point? Now is it the trust that's paying the taxes? And so the children or grandchildren just have to manage those books and make sure taxes get paid because the trust... Um, Income tax now as we're talking um, no, I'm not talking income tax because uh, property it, tax. Uh, the taxes of, uh, say, the business um, having a profitable year. Okay. Uh, usually, right now, that goes through as Tracy and my income. Okay. Right? Yeah. Whether we pull it in or not, it's still money so we've got to pay taxes on. That kind of tax, I believe, is still going to have to get paid, and I don't know how it gets paid. Right now, we write out a check as our personal taxes. Right. Um, but if the trust pays you, and you would have to pay the money on that, and the business would have to pay the money on the profits above that, right? So yep. the business, let's say, just use numbers, let's say the business makes uh, 100000 you guys get 50000 you'd pay the taxes on the 50000 the business would t pay taxes on 50000 Are you talking future? Yeah. Uh, in the future when we're dead? When you, or when you don't want to pay it anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, right now, you guys are paying it. Right now, any profitability from either business, you know, which is yeah. owned by the trust, the trust, is that income or that profit, profitability is still considered our income. 
So we got to pay. So you're paying, it. you're paying everything on the trust on the profits of the trust in taxes. Yes, on the profits that supposedly the trust would would it's, have it's and in. get, yeah. but it's a it's a flow through. When we die, and this is a question I got to wrestle out again with yeah. with our administrator is, when we die, there's no more for selling Tracy's personal income. Right. So how does is this working like we wanted it to work? Now, you know, Calvin or, or Lydia or whoever has to manage a checkbook and say, oh, property ta uh, uh, taxes for uh, the profits from Gap and Security Solutions got to get paid to the right. government. Um, you don't want to make a, uh, a mobile that's going to fail either. That, right. You know, okay, now we're not paying the taxes, and now the, the trust has to pay the taxes, but it's... It's bleeding our trust dry. Yeah, but it's still also it's still also it, it's growing. If it's if it's making money, the right. trust is growing in True. its in its in its value and its yeah. income. So. so hopefully the business continues to make money. The right. properties continue to make money. That that all is accumulating, and then at the end we pay all those bills out of a checkbook. As long as the taxes don't get so high that it's right. taking. Well, and we don't you know we don't like scratch. Tracy, check in that shoebox to see if there's money. I mean, this this money that the, the, that each of these businesses like has sloshing around is money usable, you yeah. know. And so, um, and you're you're accounting for it. Yes, yeah, it's all account for everything. I tell you what, that is the biggest concern I would ever have is get it right to tax um, accountants because I don't want to get I don't want to get I don't want to go back on macaroni and cheese. Yes, I don't want to go back to macaroni and cheese. Because I don't even think my kids would feed me that well if I was dependent on them. Well, maybe they could put hot dogs in. <laughs> so I think some taxes, even with this idea uh, of, a, of a perpetual trust, I think there's some taxes you don't avoid. Federal tax, state tax, you're going to pay them. Um, income tax. But inheritance tax and the estate uh, thing becomes a non-issue <coughs> because no one owns the trust. And... And then, unless the rules change, because the state can always come up and, and, and deal with you. I admit, I, I still am questioning, though, some of these uh, goals that I want to accomplish. Have I accomplished them? Is this set up the way? Because when I brought this to the, uh, to the lawyer, who was a will, I mean, what they do is wills. This is their business. He had never really heard of the concept before. He was like, wait a minute, what do you, you know? And, and I tried to say, buy the book, please. Let me get you the book. Just you got to read. And but he he was really intrigued, and he's was you know he's worked this out. I think in a way he feels like ah, um, okay, this is what you wanted, and these were your your rules, and these were you know, and he's got it all incorporated. But if you don't put your my mind is if I don't put my mind on it again for a while, it kind of like it's. <laughs> you know, I gotta get back and look at it and ask those hard questions again. So, uh, H, what about your successors? Okay, will they even want it? Will they want your stuff? Okay, will there be sibling squabbles uh, over it, like you had mentioned with the dresser earlier, Paul? I think the Family Wealth book by Hughes is is helpful in dealing with that. Um, he says uh, and reinforces what we've been saying uh, in his book. In my opinion, quote, 
in my opinion, the issue most critical to the failure of a family to preserve its wealth is concentration on the family's financial capital to the exclusion of its human and intellectual capital. A family's failure to understand what its wealth is and to manage that wealth successfully dooms that family to fulfill the shirt sleeves proverb. The shirt sleeves proverb is uh, what happens to most family wealth is uh, one family can build it up, you teach your kids not as much as you knew, and then they have kids, they know even less, and pretty soon you went from shirt sleeves to having some money back to shirt sleeves again. It's the rags to riches um, over again. Imagine you, uh, how you might prepare for this challenge, how such a trust looks and feels before you die. This is a recent uh, news article that Paul had even said, hey, you should, you should really read that because I think he was getting into the thing that you are, um, you've been discussing in the past. It's about the Hobby Lobby owner, the CEO of Hobby Lobby. And, and I, I left an article there for, for you to look at Hey, is that Cal? Can you grab me one of those articles? I guess I didn't grab my own. And uh, thank you. So, if you take a quick look at this, Hobby Lobby CEO David Green sent shockwaves through the news cycle after writing in a recent Fox News opinion piece that he elected to walk away from the craft store chain and choose God instead. Now, that's a misleading two sentences to me, but he says Patagonia's founder recently made news that when he gave away the ownership in his company to allow the mission and purpose to remain intact. I experienced a similar decision-making process with my own ownership of Hobby Lobby. I chose God, he wrote Friday. Green, who discussed the piece on Sunday's Fox and Friends weekend, told anchor Will Kane his mission is to be a steward instead of an owner. We want to be stewards of God, what God has given us, and that's the difference, he said. There's a huge paradigm change between owning a company and stewarding it, and we want to be stewards of what God has given us. Green told Cain that 100%, and this is the key, I guess, Green told Cain that 100% of the company's voting stock has been moved to a trust where the stewardship can continue to pass on to one person from another. All the voting stock is in 1% is in 1% in its trust and it's being managed and being stewarded instead of seeing ourselves as owners, he added. Green said that rescinding the company's focus on ownership helps honor God tremendously by alleviating the burden of wealth. Wealth can be a curse and in most cases if you, if you drill down on it, wealth is a curse in terms of marriage, children, and things of that nature. So we're stewarding our company, and therefore our children come to work, and they get what they earn. It's a paradigm change from ownership that can really wreck a family, he said. He also chalked up his decision to God's ownership of everything, saying, you own it, then we're going to steward it. Uh, You own it, then we're going to steward it. In his Friday opinion piece, Green challenged the business leaders to assess their source of truth, offering hints of wisdom from the book of Proverbs and stressing the importance of tithing. 
For me, my source of truth has always been prayer and the Bible. I truly believe that if leaders pray and seek truth from the Bible, that their businesses will be revolutionized, he wrote. For instance, the Bible talks about giving a tenth or ten percent. Can you imagine what would happen if every top leader in business became a tither? There would be literally billions available for good work around the world. He encouraged readers to seek wisdom from Proverbs by reading one of the book's 31 chapters each day and reiterated his message of stewardship in urging others to take care of what God has given. Quote, the biggest challenge is to ask the question of whether you are an owner or a steward, a manager of what you've been entrusted with, the article reads. From the very beginning, our purpose was to honor God in all that we did. We worked hard, and God gave the results. As we were blessed by God, we saw it as a great privilege to give back. We've been able to provide hope through supporting ministries and planting churches all over the world. Now, what he did, if I'm understanding it correctly, is a little different than than what we did. And it's not just based on this article, but something else I read. that He kind of didn't even, like, the trust that they set up owns the business, but it's not necessarily his own children that are the trustees on it. Not 100%, I don't think. Yeah, so... I think his children are... I get a hint that his children are involved. However, I think, yeah, he, he went out to other people that he he trusts, though, yeah. it seems like. But. Yeah, and I got the idea that there was also employee involvement in it. Maybe there were the higher decision-making employees mm-hmm. to, in order to keep this thing going uh, long after he, he's gone. So what does it feel like, I guess, um, before you die? He set it up before he died. We set this up before we died. And as I, I said before, um, the kids are trustees. Each one of them has a vote. Tracy and I are trustees. Uh, they each get one vote. She and I get two and a half votes. So it's five to four, worst case, until we pass away. If she goes before me, it's going to be a dogfight, me against the rest of them, I'm thinking. (laughs) But that's okay. I mean, ultimately, uh, if we want this to carry on as a vehicle, then they have to right now take ownership. And we take ownership on decision-making when it comes to what the trust owns. We also share decisions, you know, on on the company and the GAPA security solution side and so on, but um, that's a little different. My lawyer asked me when we were trying to, to set this up, he says, are you sure you want to do this? Because it kind of like handcuffed us, as I said. We were kind of putting ourselves in a position where if we do this, we're not in complete control ourselves only. Other, other, other people are involved in making the decisions in our wealth because most of all of this was us giving our wealth and starting, starting the whole process. We were the benefactor. I concluded, though, with him, you know, and others that if God will either help us to establish this vehicle, to transfer a growth of wealth for generations to come, this, this vision, and if we tank as a family, then all is lost anyhow. If, if, if my uh, children, uh, due to ungodliness or whatever, uh, just screw it all up, then I've lost already. I, I don't really care about the money at that point. Because um, if they're going to... Uh, vote us into Marxism, you know, and start promoting some kind of godless uh, political directions or whatever, I've already lost. And 
the money doesn't doesn't matter so much. Can you, as a group, then let's let's say I mean, forbid, but I mean let's say as a group somebody is going way off to the left yeah. field. Uh, can you, as a group, vote that person out then? Yeah, yeah, we do have in the rules, and I got to look at the rules. And I happily will share this with you uh, at some other time too, yeah. Paul. But we have some rules written in that if you're going to go the way of the prodigal son, guess what happens? You, you don't you don't get to make decisions. We're not making a feast when you come yeah. back. Yeah, <laughs> well, we we may, but it won't be trust money to, to feast you. You know, it'll be you know it won't be family money. It'll be personal money for those who are really excited. Um, but it's that whole concept of old old money. You know, in order for it to ever be substantial, you have to decide something right now. And then Bonner says, for better or for worse, we decided to share, to prepare to work together, to involve the whole family in our financial life with trusts, an investment committee, a family constitution, budget goals, and everything else the family office guidebooks recommend. Okay, this isn't new with me. Family office guidebooks, books, plural. Family office, that whole idea. I mean, has anyone in the church even heard of the concept of a family office? No, that has to do with this family trust idea, this we decided to burden the children with the fruits of our own lives. They are supposed to join in our key financial decisions, help manage family property, and partake in the family business. They're meant to help preserve and enhance the family wealth, such as it is. So this establishing of a vehicle of transferring this, this wealth, a perpetual trust, does not mean you don't have your own individual Money, separate. Private money, personal money is different from family money. So you can still pull out your checkbook and get a 12-pack of Bush Light if that's what you want to do with your own personal money. That doesn't come from the trust money, or shouldn't. Right? It's not 100% all in every family. What's that? It, not everybody's putting, it's not a commun- community no. thing that everybody's putting their money into one pot and we all get our groceries out of this. It's, it's, right? a, it's agreed upon trust money, yeah. right? And so if the trust is going to own, say, Gap of Security Solutions, then that belongs to the trust. And I think we, you have to have that so that not just for the convenience of it, but it also shows you that each family member is able to take care of their own money mm-hmm. in their own households, which adds to the trust, correct? It, 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 I mean, to the... the to their skills, skills, yeah. And right. I mean, if they can't take care of that, then you're going to have be a little reluctant to have them take care of, or what their role is on the trust, right? Right. I think this quote, though, to me, uh, is so breath of mindy that Andy, you know, with your kids, great challenge, but great resource of potential in your family, and if you can get serious with with some of the things they're looking at there, even if it's just in whatever. I mean, maybe it's a business yet to come in the future for you guys. But your, your house, your, your home, um, is that going to be something you would put into a trust if you should set something up um, or not? No, we're not going to. I'm not putting my house in. You guys you buy your own house. You do your own thing. Or do you start, like, buying houses uh, as a trust and then each child, you know, or a couple of them rent from the trust, and they've got their own jobs where they're paying their bills, they're making their own money, but that 
that rent check goes into the trust, pays for property tax, pays for, you know, whatever is part of the arrangement. I um, think if you can get kids on a younger basis to start teaching them younger, I mean, I, I don't know how my kids in their 40s and 50s will con have that concept, you know. Right, right. Whereas if I would have taught this to Aaron and Andy, little, or Aaron and Andy, yeah. Jesse and Aaron and the girls even when they started. When you, that, 15 that, years ago. 15, 20 years yeah. ago, that concept would have more time to work, you know. Right. As if I'm beating the clock now, but I mean. And, and it is, um, I mean, the goal is this gra gradual, you know, development of wealth. I look at uh, one of the things, I'll show you a slide in a second. Um, one of the things that we have is this idea of this trust. Oh, let me just show it to you real quick. We, 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 I drew a picture of an umbrella called a gap of trust. And then underneath it, I've got these different like little categories. And the first one, I'll read it to you, is business acquisitions. Okay? Are there businesses we might buy? And so gap of security solutions is a... Uh, um, is a business owned by the trust already. So that was an acquisition, in a sense. It was just a transfer, kind of. But gap of properties, okay? So the trust owns gap of properties. Uh, we, could, we could buy other businesses. Maybe, uh, maybe Calvin has an idea to have a lawn, lawn service business, right? If it's hearts, my heart's desire is lawn care, we'd ask the question, do you want the trust to own it, or do you want to just own it? You want a business loan? We could give you a business loan. You pay us back in time. I mean, so this money can become very family friendly, but it's still trust money. It's still, this is not yours to just do what you want with. No, and, and show us your business plan if you really want to get a business loan from the trust because three of us don't think you're going to even do this, you know. But you, you as a trust now are, are making the interest off his business, and he is himself. Right. Versus uh, outside bank or whatever. Right, yeah, so you could avoid an outside bank. Some of, some of these books talk about the uh, family bank even, you know, mm -hmm. in, in, in those terms. Which I, I guess I got down at the bottom, Gapa Trust Bank. I mean, a little logo for that. But there's also uh, the idea of business loans, B, okay, and we haven't really gotten into that because they're all working for Gapa Security Solutions. They're not looking to start their own businesses. Although we have discussed a little bit because uh, Lydia likes the idea of like maybe publishing books or something, you know, getting, getting that going. So we, we discussed that. That could be a business loan, or maybe not. Do we all think that this has got some substance? Could it actually make money itself? Maybe then we'd give a business loan. Then you go down to real estate, you know, and that, that's actually uh, falling under a gap of properties above, but we just listed the different places that we, we own. Then educational support. So could you give scholarships to your grandchildren? Yeah. That, that could be, that could be an, an, an arm where you're developing the family's human capital. A benevolence and charity. What we read about this, the CEO from Hobby Lobby is it's about giving 10%. Okay? So we, we look at the end of the year and say, what's, what's the profitability? According to... Um, sorry. According to the uh, uh, income statement, which is how we can determine that right now, we're going to have to give this much money. If we're going to give 10%, this is how much money we're going to give. Well, when you've got these different entities, if they're profitable, that, that becomes a pretty nice chunk of change that you can give. 
and you give it all to the church? Are there other organizations we, we want to support? And so we start to wrestle with that. But I'd rather be wrestling with these things with my kids right now than have them develop like, oh, I don't know, are we supposed to tithe from this? I thought I just had to tithe from my income. No, we got to tithe from, from the income. And, and now they're starting to think, okay, well, do we believe in these organizations, these ministries, or don't we? Um, investments, stocks, and bonds, they haven't really done that. <laughs> Not with the trust, at least. We've all got our own little 401ks, personal, private money. but So that is a big thing, this idea that um, family money versus personal money, um, which is uh, that slide. But before I get to that, one of the big things that... Uh, that uh, Bonner mentioned is how important it is that one spouse stays home and, and is just really concerned about the home place. And he says, historically, that's been the mom or the wife. And, but then she's, she's like the, the human capital uh, radar system. She's in, in pouring herself into them. She's making sure the husband's also aware of the development when he's not around because he's maybe making wealth. Uh, hugely important. Uh, I think they basically f- feel like you cannot grow real wealth if both spouses are working. It, it, it'll all be very temporary, or you'll have children, and they will turn out crappy. And therefore, <laughs> you know, in a sense, not with the same uh, ethic and heartbeat that that is what you'd hope for. I that's an overgeneralization. But. So um, family money versus personal money. Uh, members of successful old money families think of themselves as stewards, not owners. That sounds a lot like the Hobby Lobby guy, right? Of their financial capital. Since they are not owners of it, they don't feel they have the right to use the money for their own personal enjoyment. Instead, they are just supposed to look out for it as if it were a piece of heirloom furniture. He's saying that in a good sense, you know. You, 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 you steward it. You grow it. You make it, you know, do whatever. Personal money, on the other hand, personal money has a purpose to increase your quality of life. It helps you take vacations. It permits you to live in the house of, the, of your dreams if you can afford it, if you can afford it. It pays for your beer. It lights your house. It finances your retirement. So when we've got uh, this umbrella thing set up here, it doesn't mean Calvin, you know, doesn't get his own income. He, he does what he wants with his money. Same with Zach and Lydia and Abby. They do what they want with their money. But we also have this shared money, the shared wealth that we make decisions about and want to keep um, investing and growing and stewarding. But it's not our money to spend personally on ourselves. Can my accumulated wealth keep growing and advancing Christ's kingdom? Okay, so if we're just trying to build up money, 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 are we doing anything good for the kingdom? Well, one of the things I mentioned a bit ago was each end of year we do have, if it's profitable year, we do have some money that we fully intend to, um, to give to Christ-honoring organizations or ministries or the church. And... Uh, we can wrestle with that. Uh, I, my preference is to give to the church 
um, and then have the church have uh, be an arm of, of, of um, charity to some of these other ministries, like we do with missionaries to the preborn or whatever. I'd love to give more to the church and earmark it for some of these organizations I believe in, because then I, I, I see it as the church has the power, in a sense. The church has approval-giving authority that these other ministries need to respect. And, and so I think that's always, that's always helpful. But expanding on the concept of the perpetual trust, I'll do this really briefly. It begins with the benefactor. That's the person who says, okay, honey or sweetheart, we've got, we've got to do something. And we've got these things we've compiled. We need, it to, we need to figure out a way that the kids can take this further. Uh, so that's the benefactor. There's hardware of the trust. It owns things, buildings, businesses, etc. includes any will, estate plans, tax strategy, investments, bank accounts. Okay? Uh, the hardware of the trust is, uh, it kind of did a hardware, software, computer terminology. Uh, skip, a, skip a line there. Uh, software of the trust is more of how are we going to do this? What are we going to write into it to protect it? Okay, so I want to have a mission statement family uh, constitution of some sort, how are we going to determine trustees and their ability to vote or, or not vote. Uh, so right now we got it set up where Tracy and I, you know, like we said, two and a half votes each. Each kid gets one vote. But if this is to carry on, that means Zach family, Zach Appa family needs representatives that are going to sit on a family council someday because Zach's going to be old and gray or whatever. And, and, and electing these different people uh, from the, the four families or the whatever that extend from us. That, how is how's that going to be done? And at that point, you're going to have to figure out the voting system from there because if Zach has 12 kids and, and Calvin and Kaylee have one. We already have some of that worded figured in out. there. How many are allowed maximum? We also have in there, um, um, like spouses are not included. It has to be the bloodline except adoption is considered bloodline. Things like that can all be written in there. Yeah, and I don't recall exactly all those details, again, because I don't revisit it and think on it too frequently. There's a movie out that covers kind of this. It's based off of this, and I'm sorry I can't think of the name right now, but it was about this trust kid that went to one of their many apartment house buildings he had to go there and fix the plumbing or something like that meets this girl that's not part of the family and the dad is running the whole organization the trust and then they end up getting married against his dad's wishes wishes and then um true colors come out or whatever and he starts fighting with her and and they they get a divorce but um she can't get anything because it's in the family trust right, and how right. they have it set up. and It's an interesting movie, but it goes a lot with this concept. Yeah, I'd be really eager to find, a, find the find name of it because it it's a curious I, movie. I, like I say, you know, I, I'm reading a book here or there, and I'm thinking, oh, we should do this, or, oh, that makes biblical sense to me, and so on. But it's this not like... There isn't much biblical in it, but it, it, it is. Well, yeah, right, the right. The concept is there. It and, and triggers and, questions. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting if you watch the if you watch it in that light because I did after we talked years ago or whatever when mm-hmm. you started introducing this and that brought to my mind that movie 
and how they did things and how that money just kept going. But everybody had their own riches as well, you know. Yeah, so yeah. all she would get was whatever he had, which wasn't much because he didn't trust him enough to give him full voting. Ah, right. And that, right. that whole voting thing, if I remember right, and don't quote me, but I think the whole that was all based upon age and the, how the committee allowed each person to do it, mm -hmm. which is, you know, we talked about part of the software. Was, yeah, right. Well, this kid can't handle his own finances. How right. much vote are we going to give them in the whole? Well, and, and, and that, that reminds me because Calvin and uh, Abby didn't have voting rights till they became 18, mm -hmm. right? Isn't that how we did it? We became 18, then they officially could vote. And so Abby could before Calvin could. Yeah, yeah. Didn't mean we didn't keep them involved in the no, no, meetings right. and discussions. It's just that, uh, um, and, and we pretty much have come down. We've had our moments of interaction on some things, you know, that we weren't in full agreement. But we've pretty much come down to walking away, living with decisions made uh, in, in a unanimous sense. You yeah, know. right. It's not like you agree on everything, but you do come to an agreement before yeah. you walk away. Even if it's for now, we're not going to do that. There's too much that we don't agree on yeah. here. And do more research or whatever on that point. But do you, do you then meet at a regular basis? Yeah, so good question. Because uh, according to the trust, I think when you have a meeting, and it has to maybe be once a year, you've got to keep minutes, you know, just so legally you could say, no, this is all being done according to the trust rules. And, uh, and we do. And we meet once a year unless there's something that comes up that we need to discuss and talk about. So when we go to uh, to uh, the lake home once a year for our week-long family vacation, everybody comes all together. We spend two to three hours um, discussing the GAPA. Three to four hours. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Was it, was it that It was long? close to four hours last yeah. Well, so as you grow, there's more to discuss as well. I mean, so then, then you become, you get to the point where you say, okay, maybe we should meet every six months instead of once a year so that we're not meeting for four hours. Right. We can cut it down to two or. Yeah, and there is a and point. Adjust that and this is, this is where, if, if you really become something significant, I think is more where you get into we need a family office. We need actually somebody we're paying part time or whatever at first to take care of some of these things because there's just too much. And, and a family, the well, trust more, checkbook and all this kind of The more you're building under that umbrella, the more you're building under A, the more you're going to have to have more meetings, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you're going to have more going on. And committees. And committees. Yeah, we talked about having an educational committee at some point, you know, made up maybe a three people and saying, hey, this is our money we built up in our education fund. Uh, Jenny wants to go off to college or to tech school. What can we do? Can we do something? What are, do we establish any rules on that, you know? Can the scholarship recipient do more work, per se? For Say that again. Can the scholarship recep recipient, recipient okay. do more work for the trust, for the businesses? As a payback? As, as or a payback or as an earning... Good will. Earning um, scholarship. concept instead of us just giving them money. Or, yeah, right. is, is that something that we want to look into or whatever? You know? Right, right. And a benevolence uh, thing, so one of our, kind of a standing joke is, is Lydia's a big giver. I mean, she gives everything to everybody, always giving gifts. And, and, and she's thinking in her mind that she'd be great on the benevolent committee. No, you're the last person we want as a benevolent committee person. Uh, Four to one, no. <laughs> so, but, I mean, all, all those concepts are things that, 
you wrestle with if you're trying to really manage and steward rather than just kind of dispose of through the will process. And, and either way is, you know, up to a person. Uh, so you can see the things that could fall under there. Those are just things. I, I just put that together and tried to give a visual to, to the possibilities. But um, So software, yeah, I, I, I note some things in there like, is it going to be a family office, a family bank, committees for scholarships, business loans, charitable giving? Um, the representation of the family. Those are all software things. They're not in the, the hardware of actually the buildings, the things, the businesses, the investments, the bank accounts. Or should I just give it all away? Okay, and, and, and I think most people are in this, this position. I'm just going to give it all away, right? When I die or before I die. Can the church or kingdom ministry make better use of it? Maybe they can, maybe they're not. Bonner is very against giving charity. Uh, and I think to a fault. I mean, he's, he's not right-headed in this, but he argues against charities as, as consumers, not producers, as kind of leechers, leeches, not, not uh, uh, creators, and, and he has a hard time letting the locusts come in and harvest the field and leave. <laughs> and, but this is, this is him. You, he's not coming from necessarily a Christian. I was going to say, um, did you get a feel that he was a Christian? I got to feel he wasn't a Christian. Wasn't a Christian. Mostly based upon those things. Yeah. Not because they're, they're, I'm disagreeing with a lot of his capital or financial wisdom or any of that. I don't. I don't even get close to understanding some of it. But yeah. I. I, I mean, think, I think you you would have to do your homework on the charities as well. I mean, we we have done our homework on charities as far as through the church and stuff like that. But not everybody has done that. That's not a member of a church or. or organization that does these type of things right so yeah i mean if the uh, snake snake association nonprofit organization wants all your money yeah it probably yeah not right. right well and, and some people maybe want to give their last hurrah it's it's going to the uh the pro-life organization that's really doing its work and yeah. so be it and sometimes you know that's fine I, I, and what do you do okay so this is i, I think the bigger question is what if you have no children to leave it to? Okay, so you, you're really, what, what, I don't know what you, what's going on in your mind at that point. Let's say if you're a single man or a widow woman, um, what's going on in your mind? If you have no children, uh, I know what goes on in, in a couple of gentlemen I know who are single, who've got some wealth, is they start thinking, well, I got a nephew, I, got, I like a lot, you know, and, and they start thinking about their their brother's kids or, or, or cousins or, or whatever. Well, I know a man that was a bachelor all his life, and he had some wealth, and he gave it some to his nephews and nieces and some to um, just people in his life that he, he thought could use, use that money yeah. in a good way. Just people that he worked with or came into contact with or liked or whatever. So. And, and I think there are a lot of people, not childless necessarily, there are a good handful of those that they got to make a decision. Mm -hmm. They didn't have time to think a hundred year plan, you know, no, no, no real need for it maybe yeah, in their right. minds. But, but the rest of us, uh, some just get to that point where, hey, I hope I train my children well, I'm going to give it to them, divide it up, 
and they're going to have to see what they can do with it. But if you don't introduce a concept like this of a perpetual trust, which is fine, then they're going to have to come up with a concept on their own if they were to try to do something like that with their kids, uh, or maybe it won't. Maybe it'll all just be one generation follows the next, and, and nobody ever gets any further than their own little nucleus of a, of a family. Uh, but there are plenty of organizations that are worthy of support. We've got a list. We've made a list. It started with my list, you know, and then the kids kind of like, well, couldn't we give more to this too? And, and so last two years ago, they decided as a charitable, we got our sum of money that we're going to give from. And so much is going here, so much is going there. But then what about these organizations? And they said, well, could, we got an idea. I don't know who brought it up, but what if we each got 2% that we could decide on our own organization that we'd like to see supported. And we thought, that sounds like a great idea, you know. But we made it a requirement that we all had to agree with the organization being Christian, you know, a worthy organization to give to. Um, last two years we've done that is uh, more than just a voice, but there's a policy in place that way. If you do not set up a perpetual trust or if your goal is not to grow wealth for descendants and build on it as a family, then I think you can kind of get by with just a, um, a, uh, a will or don't even have a will and just let the state decide what they're going to do with <laughs> with your stuff because <laughs> they they will step in at that point um, as, as I understand it um, slide 15 uh, trustees participate in the decisions to give annually to your children and know what giving looks like I think we have been wrestling through what that looks like because we've been doing this yearly now for some time charitable donations and your estate plan um, what if you give it all away? I'm still alive. We actually created, it was one of the things I think the Bonner book had is they talked about a family seal, you know, and yeah, at first I thought, ah, that sounds a little corny, but if there's a picture that has a story behind it, we could, uh, we could uh, kind of look at this picture. You can see Bible verses. The, bo the top Bible verse is actually on Tracy and, and, and my headstone. Uh, the bottom verse is uh, from Daniel. The top one is, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The bottom one says, the Most High, and this is Nebuchadnezzar after he was turned into an animal and God restored him. He says, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to, who, to whom he will and sets over it the lowest of men. And so the tree is a tree I thought was just a, a, a massive overshadow. You know, this is the Nebuchadnezzar tree where he has that dream of uh, things coming and nesting in his branches and, you know, finding shelter under it. And then, then I, uh, there are birds. There are seven birds in that tree, and we've had seven children. Three were miscarried, um, and four were, were birthed. And so they're all in the tree. And then below the tree, we have, you know, the uh, symbol of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away. Either we follow him or we become like Nebuchadnezzar, the sawed-off tree at its roots on the other side. So uh, 
hopefully a healthy reminder of what we're trying to be about as a family. You know. uh, any other thoughts? Did this all become real confusing? Because I don't think most people will ever think about perpetual trust idea. But if there's one or two families in this church that thinks about it seriously and starts to like, I, I think that's huge. That'd be huge as a, as a resource. For I don't others. think anybody looks at themselves as being rich enough to do this type of thing. I think they think that it has to be a certain amount of money to, to do. But it has to start somewhere. All of it did right. at one time or another. You know, and maybe it was one rich guy that started it for his family or whatever. But I think it's the concept of, of being smarter about it, about, about stewardship and money, about stewardship and money, and, and kids. Um, you know, looking at others that have made this work for them and their families and their generations beyond. You know, I I find that what we established probably in our children has created more of an incentive to make all things profitable in a, in a sense of being good stewards from the gap of security solutions to the properties things. I, I think they have taken ownership. Would you feel that way a little bit, Calvin? Like this is yours as well? Um, what better thing to do, I think, in your own... Uh, to feel like what, you're, what you go out and work each day is actually building something. Now, like I said... That could be taken away, and especially if we don't honor Christ. And it could be taken away by this, you know, despotism or the state tyranny. But, oh well, then we build, build again, <laughs> you know, is, is what you got to do. But I think mostly one of the problems of the generational thing that's happened is people didn't talk about money and politics and religion, you know, and some stuff like that. Or, this is my money, I'm not going to talk and tell you about my money. Well, quit treating it like it's your money. Let's just treat it like... We'll all talk about being better stewards. I don't care what you got in your bank account or what you're going to do next. But if we're being better stewards, uh, hopefully it leads to something even bigger than w where you found yourself. I think maybe you guys have sort of touched on this a little bit, but just like uh, setting up the trust kind of starts to set the mindset for what you're going to do, even mm -hmm. if you don't have any money. It's kind of like certain people have told me they they don't need a budget because they don't have, they don't make enough money and it's like well that shows that you really need a budget yes um, yes good point and it's so hard and once you start to budget all of a sudden you start to think in realms of savings, savings giving all those different things so maybe it's the same concept with with this like okay I don't have enough money to to do a trust but. If you start setting it up, you start to set that mindset. Yeah. And sometimes just mindset is like the majority of what you need to do, you know. It makes you think in that way. Yeah, right? and, and then you start to make conscious decisions toward that. And then all of a sudden, wow, we, we built I can't nice. believe it. Yeah, what, look at what, what happened. Remember when? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if you can't do anything, let's say you have a house, you work a five job. You own the house. You die. Your kids own houses. The house could go to the trust. And that's a business already. You can start renting that house out. All those kids die. Well, you have five kids. That's six houses. You can start renting out. 
it's a business in a yeah. sense. It just keeps slowly building. Yeah. If, if you, you want. In fact, it. I think you did something like that, um, and not to speak of your, your own personal decisions, but at the time you weren't married and you thought, okay, well, if I'm dying, that goes to Gap of Trust, right? Yep. I've and, got nothing else I want to go to something good. So. And so, because it was like, I love my brothers and sisters and family. I want the future to be good for the, you know, the family and the kingdom of Christ, if that's what we're really being about. Um, I think your point is excellently, absolutely made there, uh, Andy. It has definitely created a mindset. When I first brought this concept up, um, it was like, what do you want to do? You know, Dad, what? You know, it's like they're putting up with me a little bit. Like, I felt that way at least. Maybe it wasn't ultimately what they were doing. But it was like, could this be one of Dad's ideas? <laughs> you know? but, what flavor uh, of the day is this? No. Yeah, <laughs> but as, as, it's, as it's evolved... Um, Oh, yeah, we think this way. And I think each one of us thinks. And they all know they got their own money. They get an income. I get, I get an income, too, you know, as far as that goes. What about their income? So Calvin does his grass business. Yes. Um, he's earning more money than maybe the rest or whatever. Yeah. But he's, he's paying back that loan. He's helping out on the other entities, blah, blah, blah. So when he has to pass his money on, What's the concept there? Yeah. I, I think the concept is that's up he's, to him. It's, it's, it's personal money. It's personal money. money, and if he's got kids, I think there's errors that should be. But he also, and maybe in his mind, thinks, but I also know that the, uh, the heirs are best taken care of with the family trust that's mm-hmm. been established because it's going to give scholarships, it's going to do this and that. Maybe he says, my lawn care company, if my kids aren't going to want to do it, I'm selling it to the trust, or the trust is going to get it. And, and then I know it's still an income source that, worst case, is none of these kids of mine are going to go without food, you know, or right. without certain things at least. Um, but he's not obligated. But he's not obligated to do that. He could start his own trust. It could yeah. be only as much as we set up at the, at the beginning that has grown over time. Yeah, right. He could give to it personally or not. Yeah. But his children would still be a part of it if it has lived on. Yeah, because because we, including Calvin, has worked to build the wealth, and the trust is is he's got representation on the trust. Maybe it's his, you know, second-born daughter or something. Yeah, and uh, she gets the vote, kind of representing the family, their family. Uh, and maybe I don't remember the details on that. Maybe at that point he gets—he's got two kids on there, each getting a half a vote or whatever, yeah, right. as they go their different, you know, uh, tree you, uh, root ways. So I mean, but you have to do things. I mean, every family member has got to help with the, the trust in some way or another. And, right? and it, there's, I mean, but as far as I mean, so example, if I have apartment houses and I say, okay, I'm going to set up a potential trust and. And everybody's got to kind of help get things done, or we've got to hire it done. You, you've got to make that decision. So you got half that say, okay, I want to, I think we can do it on our own. We can, you know, mm-hmm. hire this part done. We do this on our own. Some say, you know what, I, I want nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. You know, then they can opt out of the trust, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But then leave their kids an option to come back yeah. in if they'd want to. Yeah. And, I, and I think, at least in the voting, and, and there's not a lot of, okay, so your scenario, I'm going to buy a house, we've got a lot of work and fix-up to do, right? Maybe you, you get that happening and you think, hey, we could save some money if we all just put our jeans on and our T-shirts and showed up on Saturday for the next three weeks. And if somebody doesn't 
doesn't want to or had some other plan, I think that's part of that. We've got to learn how to get along together. If right. our goal ultimately is to do this, then just let him, let him do his thing. And, yeah. But if it becomes too much that way, then say, listen, if you're not going to do it, then we'll hire somebody to come and serve your spot. You're going to pay, pay to the trust for that or, or whatever. I don't know. Oh, and that could be right. a possibility and too. And then you have to say, okay, well, let's let's. How do we put that as wages? And you know, yeah, it, it can be. Yeah, these are some. I'm just bringing stuff yeah. that you probably have to struggle with on some of this stuff. And, and, and some of the yes, I agree. And I don't have all those answers. Yeah, and yeah. some of the the software side of of mm -hmm. things, um, maybe is not as. Um, maybe it comes from Gap of Properties because it's working on properties. So Tracy writes out a check, yeah. and it's in that, that books. Or if it comes from Gap of Security Solutions because it's related to door locks on the house or whatever. Right. And um, then you have to have the decisions, okay, should we buy another house or should we be paying taxes on what we, we've earned this year? You know, yeah, right? and, and, and so, I mean, there's. So you're, you're do asking. Do we want that more yeah, work or do yeah. we want to, you know. And you're asking good questions. And we're at a point right now, and we have our lawyer coming in to discuss it is, okay, so properties owns those those properties, yeah. right, yeah. Um, down below there. And Calvin and, and Callie live in 709 Edgewood. They want to own it, personal. Yeah. And so how do we sell it to them and not have to go through a bank necessarily? Yeah. How do we sell it to them, have a, have a loan have right. a loan with an interest on it and, um, and do it and keep the paperwork? And we want to talk through that and have him do that paperwork for us. So it's like T's crossed and I's dotted. Mm -hmm. And then they can start paying the trust because we own it outright. They can start paying the trust their monthly mortgage payment. And uh, what does that look like at end of year? Well, we own it. We're selling it. It's just going to be interest paid as well. So those are all questions yeah. that are all like worthy. And, and it's going to be different for every good, family. I understand right? that in every business and what you got going. Because you know. I don't expect that and I wouldn't want it either if I was having a wife and children. I want to own my own house, too, yeah. rather than have the trust on it, probably. I don't know. Right now, I feel there's an interesting liberating effect of living in something I don't own because it, it gives me a better grasp of we don't own anything, ultimately. We're stewards of all things. Yeah. But, I mean, if it came down to one or the other, I'd buy that house. You know? But it's it just a, an interesting phenomenon. That yeah, it is. You're living in it, and it's like not yours. Any other thoughts? All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this time. I pray and ask that uh, we would be served as uh, families to, to be good stewards of what you've given us, especially of our, our children, Lord, and grandchildren, and, and great. It's the people that, that, that matter, and they, uh, they become, by your creation, eternal, um, or everlasting, maybe, is a better word. But at the same time, Lord, you have given us things of the earth to, to steward, maintain, to grow. And we ask that you bless those things and give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.